Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options. In stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. This is episode 10 of The Milkman of St. Gaffs. This week I'd like to thank a new patron, Dustin Yong, Milkman White Badge. And thank you also to Christine H. for several coffees on coffee.com. That's ko-fi.com. We really appreciate the support. It takes quite a bit to put the show together, and any amount really helps. You can find us on Patreon, coffee.com, and howiemilkman.com. I'd also like to tell you about a fantastic horror podcast you might find interesting called Maltopia. Blending horror with noir, the sleep-wake cycle follows estranged twins Isaiah and Rosemary, their mission to fulfill a secret government agency's directive to bring the U.S. back from the brink of madness. Born with strange abilities, intertwined with ever-present neurodivergent conditions, the twins investigate the wellness of a republic ravaged by the great darkness of 1999, with post-noctum cults pervading society, horrific conspiracies spun more from truth than fiction, and a creeping feeling that hope itself has fled the land. The twins have their work cut out for them. What remains to be seen is what the esoterium will make of their findings. Check out Maltopia wherever you listen to podcasts. It's time for The Milkman of St. Gaffs, starring Howie the Milkman.
I was about to pour this lumpy, milky brown concoction down the old professor's throat. Beaver was holding the old guy in the chair, and Frank had his mouth open, one hand on the upper jaw, one on the lower. Everyone's eyes were on me, and I could hardly get my legs moving. Professor Florsham was struggling, but between Frank and Beaver, he couldn't move. When I got really close, I tilted the bottle a bit, but I couldn't get my hands to actually pour the stuff into his mouth. Frank was staring at me. Do it, he said under his breath. With all my willpower, I pushed forward and sort of fumbled the bottle. It's like time slowed down. The bottle was about to fall. Frank instinctively shot his arm out to grab it. I grabbed it too, and between us, we almost dropped the bottle again. Meanwhile, with only one hand holding Florsham's jaw open, the old professor bit down on Frank's hand, and Frank punched Florsham in the face really hard. He was disoriented for a second, and his mouth fell open. And really fast, Frank grabbed my hand, and we stuffed the bottle in Florsham's mouth. I'm sorry to say, because it was pretty gruesome, but we actually knocked a few of his teeth out in the process. Florsham was choking on blood in the milky concoction. I was shaking and couldn't move. Florsham got a bunch of the milk down and Frank and Beaver and I all let him go. He fell to the floor, twitching and writhing. It was really the most horrible thing I'd ever watched. I felt like I was going to throw up, but also like I was sinking through the floor. It was as if the lights got really dim, and as Florsham stopped moving around so much, I saw it was like a thousand little hands reaching up through the floor and sucking him dry like an old prune. And then I think I blacked out for a second, because Frank suddenly had both his arms under mine, and I was leaning back on him. Corwin was standing now and hovering over me. I looked up at him and put on a serious-looking face. I did it. I said, I really did it. But Corwin raised an eyebrow and pursed his lips. Hmm, he said. Get to the station and bring a truck here. Park it outside, Corwin said. I looked one more time at the old professor, the gaping hole of his mouth all red with white frothy stuff seeping out, and the dead eyes. The whites of his eyes were a weird green color now. My stomach convulsed, and I threw up a bit on the carpet. Corwin jumped back, obviously disgusted with me. Get moving. I got out as fast as I could, wiping my mouth with my sleeve, and then wiping my sleeve on my pants because it looked pretty bad. I tried hard to get my breath under control as I walked, but I really couldn't stop shaking. I had to cut across downtown to get to the station from Florsham's house. It was Friday night, and a lot of younger people were out and about. I was walking down the main street in a daze when I heard, Howie! I turned and there was Stormy with Molly and two guys I'd never seen before. Stormy was running towards me. She gave me a big kiss on the cheek, which I probably should have reciprocated. Hi, Stormy. What are you up to? This is Rick and Leo from high school. Hi, I'm just getting a truck. What for? Just uh, in case I wanted to go anywhere. Really? Let's go to my aunt's this weekend. With your truck, it'll be so much better than the omnibus. I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know, I said. Can I come too? Molly piped up. 
Stormy rubbed her hand on my chest. I was thinking it would just be the two of us. Oh, they all said. So, can we do it? Sure, we'll go for a drive. Okay, I'll come meet you in the morning. Then Leo got an idea. Why don't we go with you now and we can all drive around town with the milk truck? No, no, I have to take care of something. I'm, I'm pretty tired. He gets up pretty early for work, Stormy said, and he's up for a promotion. That's right, but I, I've got to go. I kept trying to keep my arm with the puke on it behind my back so no one would see. I gave Stormy a bit of a hug and wandered off. I could hardly focus on whatever they were talking about. He's just tired. Later, I parked the truck in front of Floorsham's house and knocked on the door. Beaver opened. Where have you been? And what are you doing knocking? Get in here! I didn't really want to go back in, but what could I do? Inside, Corwin was gone, but Frank and Beaver had wrapped up the professor in the living room rug and tied it up with some string. Frank was sitting in Floorsham's chair, sipping what I assumed was Floorsham's whiskey. He held up the glass when he saw me. This guy sure knew his whiskey. All right, Howie, let's get him on the truck. So we dragged Floorsham out. As we were carrying him down the steps, a lady in the house next door came out with a watering can, even though it was pretty late at night. She looked over at us with this alarmed look on her face. Get back inside, you! Beaver hissed. And back in she went, looking pretty scared, too. So on the truck Floorsham went. I hopped in the cab and Frank came up to the window. Just drive a few miles out of town and bury him. The ground's not too bad for digging a few miles north of here. Make sure the hole's a few feet deep and not close to the road. The truck should be able to go off-road far enough to get you where you need to go. If you get going now, you should be able to get back before the sun's up and no one will be the wiser. Then he grabbed my shoulder through the window. Do a good job with this. Corwin's going to be impressed. So off I drove, and almost right away, I nodded off. I figured the smartest thing to do would be to get an hour or two of sleep before going off to bury Floorsham. No one would interfere with a milk truck on the street. So back home I went. I put down my head on the pillow, and it felt like an instant later there was a knocking on my door. I opened up my eyes and could see that it was early morning. I dragged myself to the door. I hadn't taken off my uniform. And there was Stormy standing there with Mrs. Summertag, the landlady. I hope it's all right, Howie. She said she was a friend of yours. Of course, thank you. Come in, I said to Stormy. I had a moment of panic. I'd slept in, the body was still in the truck, and I was supposed to go away with Stormy. Do you sleep in your uniform? N no, I just... I got really tired. She had a look at my place. It didn't take very long, since it was only one room. I guess to her fancy eyes, it looked a little rough around the edges, with the old sausage wrappers and my mattress that was sort of sagging. Did you bring that from home? She was looking at the whale painting on the wall. No, it came with the place. It was easier to rent out a furnished room, you know? Sure, it's small. Maybe we can find you something better when you get promoted? Oh, sure, I didn't plan to live here forever. Well, are you ready to go? Oh, yes. Can you go wait in the hall and I'll get dressed? Uh, okay. 
Or you wait here, I'll go to the bathroom down the hall and get changed. Here, look at my Eliza collection. I pulled out all my magazines from under the bedside table and grabbed my other clothes and left her there. I figured she'd be more comfortable in my room than in the hall, especially since when I opened the door, Mrs. Summertag was still standing there. I think she might even have been listening. Howie, she seems like such a nice girl. But I want you to remember that this is not a house of ill repute. We don't want to be getting a poor reputation. Of course, Mrs., we're just going away for a little trip and we'll be on our way shortly. No sleepovers, okay? While I got dressed, it occurred to me. I could just bury Floorsham up north when Stormy was with her aunt. Problem solved. When I went back to the room, Stormy was looking out the window. Who's that weird old woman hitting your truck? I rushed to the window and sure enough, the old crone was whacking the truck with her stick. Let's go, I said. I rushed out the door with Stormy right behind me. Hey, get away from there! Now she was poking the rolled up rug with her stick. She turned to me and grinned with that gummy, half-toothless grin. Like a book, so much knowledge between the covers, she mumbled. I didn't really want her going on in that vein, so I just said, Hop in, Stormy, let's get going. And off we drove in the early morning sun, the red moon just sinking over the sea. I'd never been north of town. It was rocky, with bits of rocky land sticking out into the ocean like big claws. There were a few trees, but they were all low and mossy. I guess the weather was too harsh for them to grow very high. Both of us were silent, just enjoying the ride. When the sun was up a bit higher, Stormy looked back. Why is there a rug in the truck? The rug? It's just a rug. For Frank, one of the other milkmen. Someone on my route didn't want it, and I remembered that Frank really wanted a rug for his place, so I picked it up to surprise him. I just didn't get a chance to drop it off yet. Hope it doesn't rain. You're a good friend, Howie. Loyal. Not like Albert. Not like Albert? I was meaning to tell you, Albert told me, before the accident, obviously, that after Billings died, he found some papers beside his body. He took them and looked, and they were about you. It said you were from County Buckle and not Mingsbite. I told them it was probably just some mistake, but he was really mad when Corwin made him spray for flies, and you got to do that secret mission to the radio station. He said he was going to go tell the police because you lied on your application, and maybe then they'd send you away to the army. He was really jealous of you, Howie. That peckerhead. So it was McMurtle who was talking to the police. I started to get this weird, sinking feeling in my stomach as we drove. I had to really work to keep the rage and shock off my face. You okay? Stormy asked. Sure, I just think I swallowed a bug. Ew. You are from Mingsbite, right? Not Buckle. It's true. I lied on my application. Stormy thought about this. Well, you were just looking out for yourself. I think that was smart. We hit a big bump in the road, and there was a big thud as the carpet in the back jostled around. Stormy looked back. The rug's really lumpy. Is there something inside? I felt my face go red. Oh, there's just some potatoes in there, a couple sacks of potatoes. Since I had the truck, I decided to get a bunch. Can you stay here a second? I just want to tie down the carpet. Just wait here, okay? 
So I pulled over and hopped out. I went around back. I got a bit lightheaded and really scared when I saw that the carpet had come undone a bit and you could see Florsham's feet in his professor's socks sticking out. I was busy stuffing them back in and trying to tighten up the strings. Everything okay? I just about jumped out of my skin. Stormy was right behind me, but I didn't think she saw anything. Oh yeah, just securing the load back here. I hastily shoved the feet back under the rug as best I could. I needed to stretch my legs, and when I turned around, she was actually stretching her legs. I was mesmerized. No one was around on the road in either direction, so I walked over and kissed her, and I wanted to kiss her more, but she pulled away. The day is young, she said with a big smile on her face. We got back on the truck and kept going. I felt like we were settlers from yesteryear going off into unknown lands to forge a new start for ourselves. Stormy put her hand on my leg. It was warm, and that warm feeling filled up my whole brain. We passed through the town of Skaw. It was just a couple dozen houses and a few stores, an old stone church. An elderly couple on the street stopped and stared at us. Probably they'd never seen such a fancy truck before. We didn't stop. As we went on, the trees got bigger. Spruce trees, Stormy said, and Stormy told me all about her aunt. She and my uncle got married pretty young and had a boy, my cousin, Patrick. My uncle had some kind of business with the woodcutters, and he was pretty well off. I don't remember him, really. Patrick, my cousin, he was never quite right in the head. He used to love sneaking up on people and scaring them. Then one day, they found my uncle. He'd hanged himself from a tree in their yard. Some people in my family said that Patrick did it, but my aunt just told the police he was upset about something, and if the family says it's suicide, they take the family's word for it. But after that, Patrick got worse. He would just follow my aunt around the house without saying anything, or he'd jump out at her with a knife and just start laughing. Her nerves were shot, and she's still pretty jumpy. And where's Patrick now? He just got a job as a woodcutter. I don't know where he lives now. He still visits my aunt sometimes. I've only met him like once or twice. But listen, we're getting close. Turn down here. So I turned down a wooded lane. Now turn down there. So I turned down another track, hardly even a road. It obviously hadn't been used for a long time. There's an old shack down here that no one uses. Okay, just stop here. So I stopped and we hopped out. You sure you'll be okay? I'm sorry I can't bring you up with me right away. Of course, I love the outdoors. The plan was for Stormy to pretend she'd taken a bus and gotten a ride up here from town. The lane to her aunt's place was two miles, so not too long a walk. I was supposed to leave the truck here where no one would see it. And then I was supposed to just wait here in the woods until it started getting dark. Then I'd sneak up to the guest house close to the aunt's place, and Stormy would let me in. It all seemed perfect. I'd get to spend the weekend up here with Stormy, and I could bury Floorsham on her aunt's property when everyone was asleep. So Stormy gave me a big kiss and walked up the main lane. And I stayed behind in the truck. I told Stormy I'd be fine and tried to pretend I was a rugged woodsman, 
even though, to tell you the truth, I'd never even been in the woods. And now that I was here alone, it was so quiet, it bothered me. I sat in the truck for a while, but it got pretty boring, especially since, right in front of the truck, out the windshield, was this tree with a big branch sticking right out the side. It looked like the perfect tree for hanging someone, and I couldn't stop thinking about Patrick and Stormy's poor old uncle getting hanged by his own son. I kept thinking about Patrick just standing there, watching his dad struggle. It was too awful. So I went for a walk. It was a bit cold out, and I was getting cold too. I went to the end of the track. It was pretty overgrown. And at the end, there was a red wooden shack, like Stormy said. There was a window, half broken, and I could see a hole in the roof. I thought maybe I could go sit in there and warm up, but I was afraid to just go in there. I argued with myself. You're a man now, Howie. You can at least have a peek in the window. So I looked in. I could see some glass bottles that looked pretty old and dusty lined up against the wall. A bunch of rusty springs that must have been a mattress. There was a table with a couple of magazines on it. I decided not to go in, nor to sit. I was walking back to the truck, but something was bothering me. A ringing started in my ears, and then I figured out what it was. The magazine, I had the same one. The Tao Law Runner, with the Eliza Pike stories. It was from a couple weeks ago, so the shack can't have been that abandoned. I quickened my pace, but I heard something in the woods. Probably a raccoon, I thought. The sky was getting dark, but it was not even lunchtime. And then there was a little boy in front of me, maybe five or six. He was dressed in a blue knit sweater, and he had new boots on. He just stared at me. I was frozen on the spot. Are you going to come back? He asked, and I knew what he meant. No. And he frowned and looked sad, little tears welling up in his eyes. Why not? I couldn't answer. And the boy burst into tears and ran into the woods. I ran after him, but he was gone. I kept looking for a bit. I saw him out of the corner of my eye, running. I chased, and he went down some stairs. It was like there'd been a building with a basement here. The building was gone, but the stairs and handrail remained, covered in pine needles. I didn't want to go down there, but my legs took me anyways. It wasn't very deep. There was a dim light from outside, a long corridor with shelves on either side. My eyes got used to the light, and I saw that the shelves were lined with skulls, some with bits of leathery skin still stuck on them. A few had sunken bits of brown matter that used to be eyes. I spun around to get out, but the corridor just kept going in both directions. Then I realized I'd been hearing something for a while now, a violin haunting. It sounded like home somehow, and I followed the sound. The corridor looked like it curved down as I walked, and it made me a bit dizzy. Eventually I saw a very tall man with a top hat. His back was to me, and he was playing the violin, walking away from me. Hey! Hey, can you hear me? I ran to catch up, 
but he stayed ahead even though he was just walking. I got dizzier with all those skulls watching me and we came out onto the beach. He was playing for a whaling ship that was on fire a mile or so off the coast. I could feel the heat. I stood beside the violinist and we watched as a mast fell on the ship, embers crashing everywhere. Then the little boy came and stood beside us. The oil catches fire very easily, he said. I looked down at him and he looked back up at me. You'll have to be more careful next time. Then there was a dull crash and the stern of the ship sank into the water. And everything went black. I got up and looked around. I was really horrified that I was in the middle of the woods and didn't know where I was at all. I thought back on everything I'd read about wilderness survival, but all that came to mind was that I should follow the sun. I noticed when Stormy and I arrived, the sun was sort of in front of us, coming through the windshield. So I thought, if I keep following the sun, I'll eventually come to the ant's house at least. I was really cold, and it was getting to be late afternoon. I tried not to get too nervous, but I was shivering. I walked, and I walked. There were a few clouds, but I could still figure out the right direction. The birds in the trees seemed to be laughing at me, and I was getting really hungry. I eventually came to a big rock wall that I definitely hadn't seen before. I clambered up to get a good look around, but all I could see were trees. And in the distance behind me, I could see the shore. It dawned on me that I might have been going the wrong way. The wind was picking up by now and my hands were numb. There was nothing else to do but start back. So I climbed down and went back the way I came. Without the sun in front of me, guiding my way, it was hard to know if I was going the right direction. I started to try to think about what I would do if it got dark and I was still wandering around out here. I thought I could build a shelter by breaking some branches and leaning them against a tree. Maybe I should start now while I can still see. I started wondering, can you freeze to death even if it's not quite freezing out? And I was thirsty. Would I die if I didn't get anything to drink until tomorrow? The sun all of a sudden seemed to be setting really fast, like it was playing a joke on me. I found a little clearing. I grabbed a couple of branches with needles on them. I thought they'd be good blankets. There was a dead tree with some limbs that looked like they might work for a shelter, so I grabbed one and yanked on it, but I couldn't get it to break. So I sort of kicked at it, but I just ended up hurting my foot and falling, and the branch was just sticking there out of the tree. It was getting scary. But then I heard something. Glasses clinking? Certainly something glass. So I walked towards it, and through the woods, I saw a big old wooden house, and a smaller little house a little ways beyond it. This must be Stormy's aunt's place. I felt a lot better already. I snuck over to the guest house. It was dark inside, so I thought Stormy must not be done dinner yet. I sat on a rock, a little behind the trees so nobody could see me. 
I was really shaking uncontrollably now from the cold and everything else. I was so cold I thought maybe I should just go knock on the door and claim to be a lost traveler, but I was scared Stormy would be annoyed with me. So I jumped up and down to get warm, but it just made me colder. But then, like the sound of heaven above, I heard the door of the ant's place open and saw Stormy come out. She had a plate with wax paper on it. My dinner! I stepped out from the trees when she got close. Hey! I whispered. Hey! I've got your dinner! She opened the door and we went in. It was cold in there, but still warmer than outside. Stormy lit a lamp and then looked at me and raised her eyebrows. You're freezing! Oh, poor guy! Were you just sitting there the whole time? I'm sorry. No, I went for a walk, just to look around. She felt my hands and then looked actually nervous. I'm going to get some tea for you. There's wood there. Can you start a fire? And she left. I threw a bunch of logs and old paper in the iron stove. There were some matches. It felt so good getting the fire going. And then Stormy was back with the tea. I drank it and ate the roast and potatoes and bread she'd snuck out for me. It was like being in heaven. After eating, I was really tired. The guest house was one big room with a stove, a table and a chair and a big bed. Stormy had a deck of cards and she showed me a game that involved trumps and a bunch of other rules. We joked and talked about all sorts of things. We might as well have been the only people left on earth. It was black outside and it felt so good to be in here with a fire. Later, Stormy made me turn around while she put on her nightgown. When I turned around and saw her in it, my breath caught in my throat. I didn't really have any pajamas, but she didn't mind me getting into bed with my regular clothes. It felt like we were grown-ups with our own house, and it was the most thrilling thing that had ever happened to me. She turned out the lamp, and we found each other's lips in the dark. I was overwhelmed. I ran my fingers through her hair and down her back. I might have been shaking a bit, not really knowing what to do. I put my hand under her nightgown. Mm-mm, she said and I pulled my hand back and contented myself with kissing and holding her. She smelled like bath powder and blue flowers. I knew I'd never forget it, and eventually we fell asleep. When I woke up, she was getting dressed. I have to go back to the house. We don't want her coming looking for me. No, we don't. But you can sleep more. I'll come back with some breakfast in a while, okay? She left and I dozed a bit before remembering. I had a job to do. I hopped up, pulled my shoes on, and snuck out. I walked down the lane, shivering in the morning cold. But walking on a lane was much less worrisome than walking aimlessly in the woods, so I was alright. Although I did start to worry when I remembered that I hadn't brought a shovel to dig a hole with. Maybe I could use a big stick. But when I got to the truck, the rug was still there, but it was unfurled. I got really worried and ran over. It took me a moment to figure out what I was looking at. Parts of Professor Floorsham ripped up and spread about, but only a few bits, and the rug was all bloody. And then I figured it out. Animals must have gotten at him in the night and dragged the parts away. I was just standing there staring at his arm, the forearm bones exposed and tendons sticking out, when it hit me. Now I wouldn't have to bury him. This was turning out to be the best weekend of my life. Mm-hmm.